0: Hey there, welcome to Stoked to Be Here. Uh, I'm your guest host for this episode of the podcast, Phil. Uh, And today I've got the great pleasure of talking to the back half of Stellar Tandem, Laura Massey-Pugh. Laura, welcome to your own podcast.
1: (laughs) Hi, that was a little bit surreal to kind of hear my own intro paraphrase. But yeah, no, it's great. Thank you so much for, yeah, it wouldn't have been quite the same, me just talking to myself, so really
0: appreciate <laughs> somewhat different experience perhaps um yeah well as i um i know i've said to you I, i've enjoyed listening to uh to the podcast episodes that you put out um but i wanted to hear more about you and and stevie so hopefully the listeners will uh will will share that and, uh, and find this interesting too
1: yeah i hope so i think it's a great idea so yeah hopefully yeah it will be interesting
0: Good stuff. Um, so yeah, I'd start like you you always do with what led you into cycling. Is that something that you've you know, done since a kid, or you know, were you sporty as a child? What what led you got you into sort of the long distance cycling world?
1: Um, yeah, so I <laughs> I definitely was not sporty growing up. Um, I was you know always last to be picked for the rounders team, should we say, and I, I was not into you know getting a sweat up or anything like that but one thing I always always had done was rid of my bike not any great distance with any great ambition but from like little bike crowds around the block when I was very young and um, to the point when I was in the sixth form at school I um, I can't even remember why now but I decided to ride my bike to school um, it's only about five miles um, and there was quite a good off-road cycle route but Yeah, and but I stuck with it. I I started riding cycling to school and, uh, you know, spring, summer, winter, and I was still riding my bike to school and I had a friend that would come with me, she was a bit more dedicated initially, and then she kind of petered out and then I became this kind of oddball that rode a bike. Um, And the same thing continued through uni as well. Um, Yeah, and I studied in Edinburgh. And yet again, I I never had a car. so if I wasn't relying on public transport, I was cycling um, to and from the campus at uni in all weathers yet again. So snow, sleet, everything. Um, so I think it was that's where it started. And I, I kind of had more of an a, um, interest in adventures and, and being outdoors. And I was into kayaking mm-hmm. and hill climbing and and kind of you know having these adventures in the great outdoors more than I was the sporty, more athletic side of cycling, shall we say? <laughs>
0: Okay, that no, makes makes a lot of sense. Um, and so then what what led you to where you are now then? What got you into, I guess, competitive is maybe not the right word, but doing like audaxes and those sort of longer distance organised Yeah, things? and
1: the more kind of, yeah, it is both. both. And it's funny because a lot of people would, you know, look at me and assume that it's all down Stevie. Um, and obviously he was a massive part of that. But actually the ball had started rolling before I'd even met him. Um, so, um, when I was kind of in my mid twenties, shall we say, um, I was still commuting on the bike a bit, but by that point I'd got a dog, so going bike rides wasn't so easy. Um, and I think my general kind of fitness has been, a, been on a bit of a downturn as it were, it's just kind of that midlife slump I was heading towards fairly quickly. Um, I didn't really have any interest in any sports apart from going, you know, doing bits of walking. Um, and then a friend got me into roller derby um, which was very exciting and suddenly I was enjoying kind of getting fitter and learning new skills and being part of a team which is something I'd not really done since I was at school and for the first time ever I seemed to be enjoying it and this was all going great until it turned out that I was particularly overextending myself slightly um, managed to fairly traumatically injure my knee um, and that put me out of action with the roller derby for (laughs) forever it turned out but at that time um yeah i I suddenly had a very serious injury to my knee which needed surgery and that was a big point where i suddenly started to weigh up i was like i can't take my health for granted here you know i've i've kind of been resting my laurels i tried to do something i particularly potentially wasn't fit enough for i didn't have the you know the strength and the musculature to protect my knee um and i had a fantastic physio at the time that. after my surgery, he kind of took one look at me and went, I'm going to rebuild you <laughs> I kind of went you're a little bit nuts. Um, but he was he was entirely right. And there was all sorts of things um, to do with my gait and my posture. I'd broken a leg when I was very little. So I had kind of a funny walk and he corrected that. And um, to do, you know, even with my core strength and basically I could barely stand on one leg. My balance was so bad at the time. Um, he kind of rebuilt me and so that started the path so he got me on a cross trainer an exercise bike and i started religiously doing that daily and i started to get fitter and fitter lose a bit of weight and it really started to build up and i found that really exciting at the time that i was making these improvements um and then partway through or you know kind of towards almost the end of that process because i was already back on my bike by then i met stevie and he told me about the wonderful mystical world of audax and that was it. I was hooked. Absolutely hooked.
0: So it sounds like it came along at just the right time then, really, in that, in that sense. Uh,
1: yeah, definitely. And it was, yeah, just like this meeting of things. He met me at just the right time that I was completely open to kind of new ideas, new challenges. And then, you know, him talking to me about kind of training properly and fitness and nutrition. And, you know, before I just got on my bike and ridden and I can remember his. Um, He's actually one of his friends that picked up all this bulk load of cheap kit from Aldi at the time. And he came back with a pair of Lycra shorts. And I was absolutely horrified, absolutely horrified about wearing these, <laughs> these shorts. I was like, there's no way I'm getting in those. And now, of course, I, I wear them regularly because it's just the most practical thing. But yeah, it was it was a big shift for me of going this. I was a very scruffy kind of tomboyish um teenager to kind of turning into a a, a, you know a, a more kind of athletic more sporty person yeah
0: excellent cool so what's the i guess over the last few years what's the what's the training been like building up for this this ride and i guess how would you separate sort of regular being a cyclist and enjoying that side of things from training is it do you make a distinction there is yeah, there yeah, some so, rides training and some rides just for pleasure because you'd have done it anyway. Um
1: Yeah, it's interesting because every ride's training. And yeah, I mean, you could say, well, when did you start training for this? The thing is, I've never stopped. Um, You could say I've been training for this my whole life. And there's so many other skills apart from the, the cycling, you know, so the, the endurance, the, you know, being able to push on when you feel tired, when you're at rock bottom and you know, things like that hark back to my days of, you know, kind of doing longer distance walks and being in scouts and things. Um, And then with Stevie, yeah, definitely developing kind of the longer rides. So the first year I met him, we did um, a lot of, uh, it's the second year, but we did a lot of tandem work um, and built my confidence there. And then I wanted to get on solo and start doing my own rides. And We'd always, I think pretty much every year, there'd always be like a target or a certain ride or a certain challenge I wanted to commit to. Um, so I'd always be training towards that. Um, but training, at one point we went on a holiday to Crete and training consisted of him kind of throwing an inflatable wall at my head while I swam up and down the pool, which probably wasn't really training at all. But I think we've always got this notion of... Um, of perpetuating the fitness so throughout the winter we make the effort to do winter rides for example um so even when it's dank and dark outside we um we tend or we try to do a riding home for christmas ride where we ride to my parents who live um a convenient distance of about 200 kilometers away so about 120 Mm -hmm. miles um and that's a good one to keep your momentum ticking over winter if you can do that at christmas time you kind of think you're well set for the rest of the year um but the only time i've ever trained and trained to a, a training plan um i kind of have for a couple of cycling events you know including this i've kind of had a rough idea of what i want to be doing when but the only time i've really done it and really stuck to it has actually been when i did some long distance running um i actually ran coast to coast and then i did have and that was interesting because i think because that was so separate from steve because he doesn't do the running mm-hmm. and from um, other influences I'd had, I designed myself this little training plan and it was like how, you know, a long run, a short run, how many runs I do a week, how many miles I want to do a week and doing a high intensity session. And yeah, I don't know, you know, I don't really have a quantifiable way of measuring the results of that, but that's been the only time that I've had such a set training plan. Apart from that, any training goes. Um, yeah. And it, it Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I do have a set idea of what rides I want to fit in. If they don't happen, it kind of gets accepted.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, I've I've always taken the approach that the the best way to get fit is not to lose fitness in the first place. Just try and maintain a baseline, even if it's just occasional. uh, It's a much better place to be than all or nothing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the incidentals as well. I mean, sometimes, you know, you can do what you think's an epic ride and you finish a pub you have a bit of dinner a few drinks and then you ride up a massive hill afterwards and that's all all part and parcel that's an extra an extra (laughs) bonus as it were
0: (laughs) excellent um good stuff you distracted me with that Um, (laughs) Uh, well let's talk about the ride around wales then that's that's what you're alluding to there um, yeah it was there so time. laura and stevie <laughs> stayed with me on the last night of that rather epic trip um how did you find that because that was you were looking to do uh stevie put it as race distance but i guess it's your your sort of tour distances it's, it's the
1: yeah i'd call it expedition distance okay yeah, maybe, not race. maybe not racing yeah. i'm surprised he used the term race actually but yeah um yeah it was really pleased with it it was tough and I think if it hadn't been tough, we'd have been questioning a lot of things, to be honest with you. But for me, we ticked so many boxes. and so not we knew we could ride that distance, you know, we know we can ride 100, 110 miles a day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's doable. We kind of knew we could do it over that terrain, even though we knew it wouldn't be easy. So, the, the um, elevation in Wales and actually what caught us out more than we knew we were getting the elevation but was the probably the more congested parts and not necessarily the roads although we did have some busy roads some of the more busy cycle paths where we're dodging dogs and push chairs and and yeah there was a lot of fiddly bits slowed us down so all the days on the ride around Wales were as long as we'd ever expect a day to be around the world hopefully a lot of them be a lot shorter but we, we kind of knew that going into it. But for me, the biggest successes were um, the logistics, the kit, and everything else that went around outside the riding. So that we did some wild camping, that we used some warm showers hosts that went really well, that we got the provisioning spot on, that, you know, we, we kind of, everything kind of slotted into place. And it's not to say it was easy, but it suddenly felt very doable.
0: Absolutely um so how how do you go about planning something like that I guess you know, either the around Wales in in eight days uh but then maybe starting there and then and then sort of comparing that with how you're planning for the round the world trip and you know I know a lot of effort's got into that um what have been some of the what have you been surprised by as part of that yeah you know, what's taken more effort than you thought it would what's been harder what's been easier
1: um, yeah, I mean, yeah, trying to describe the around the world planning is just, I mean, I, I've I've been at it for over 18 months now. And some of the most surprising things are things that you just wouldn't even think about, like rejigging your home insurance or, you know, trying to empty the freezer or um, I'm trying to think of some other like really random things that that crop up and, you know, trying to make sure we get all our vaccines on time. Um, yeah there's there's been little logistical things and there's it's just been such a broad you know broad thing to think about that you've ticked every box and that you've you've got everything in place obviously that differed quite a lot from the around Wales um, as much as a lot of the similar planning did come in it was yeah essentially it was We know Wales, we've ridden around Wales loads, and we've got a good awareness of a lot. We'd ridden lots of the routes before. I kind of nicked the route from, I think there's an around the Wales bike ride, and then I tweaked it. So a lot of the route planning was similar. So the actual um, meat and bones are sitting on a computer, looking at routes, looking at if you go this way, what does that do to the elevation and the distance? And is that preferable or not? Um, Double You're doing
0: that same level of detail for each of the 180 days for your around the world.
1: (laughs) Not entirely, because a lot of the world is flat compared to Wales. So I don't need Very to true. sit and twig twiddle. it. And for example, in Australia, you don't have a lot of choice of roads, I think across the Nullarbor, there's one. So yeah. actually, Australia is quite easy to. And yeah, there is a trade off, you can spend hours and hours niggling with it. Um, and around the world, for example, I've, um, so coming back through Europe, I've nicked quite a lot of, it with permission, um, I've nicked quite a lot of Ian Walker's route, and he holds one of the Europe, kind of cross Europe records, yep. so I know the route he's chosen, he will have nitpicked to the nth to get the flattest, smoothest, easiest. Yeah, um, okay.
0: so you can borrow I his nitpicking
1: in that sense. Yeah, yeah, and I've borrowed um, Mark Beaumont's route, I've looked at Tandem Wow's route, so I've borrowed other people's routes, but I have gone through... Um, And then places like India, India route is completely myself, um, but India is relatively flat, so you tend not to make a massive mistake going up a massive mountain without it being quite obvious. Um, But I then have gone through pretty much the whole route on satellite and using heat maps as well to make sure that we're not on roads we're not meant to be on. Hopefully somebody cycled down there before is usually a good indication. Um, and then particularly in India and then in Canada as well actually I found a few places where there was a bridge that if you look at it on satellites appears not to be so much of a bridge is is like a a washed away bridge or there was one in Canada described as a bridge and it was actually a massive ford and it was um yeah I was just like I don't I don't think we want to be going through that so yeah whereas in Wales we we could just plan it you know we know we're not going to end up anywhere horrendous and if we did end up you know with a somewhere we couldn't get through in Wales you can reroute so easily because there's so many other options
0: um I should have asked this question first um I thought it might be good just to give a quick run through of the route because I'm not sure you, you've briefly mentioned it in a couple of podcasts I think but <laughs> that's a really
1: good point where are we
0: going detail recently so let's Let's back up and start. And do you know what? from it, the Brandenburg yeah, Gate. Yeah, yeah,
1: it will have changed several times since the beginning of this podcast because I was quite keen to get a route there out there sooner rather than later because every, everybody wants to know where you're going. Um, and it may yet change again. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. Um, so, yeah, let's start at the Brandenburg Gate. We are now heading kind of south towards Czechia. Um, we then go down into Austria, got a very small amount of time in Slovakia. Um, and then into Hungary. Um, We kind of start following the Danube. I figured it's probably gonna be pretty flat along there. So I thought that was a good call. Mm -hmm. Um, So we follow the Danube through um, Hungary, Bulgaria, um, then we're into Romania. And then we go from Romania to Turkey, um, kind of along the north of Turkey, um, south coast of the Black Sea. And then we go up through Georgia. and then from Georgia, we are meant to be entering Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan's land borders are still closed due to COVID. So there may be a, <laughs> there may yet be a change there. Um, if all goes to plan, we'll go through Azerbaijan to get the infamous ferry in Baku, which I believe on this mm-hmm. podcast, we've always said, oh, we'll never take that ferry. But actually, the, the other options are very limited, particularly now with the political situation in, in Russia. Um, Mm. Yeah, we we don't have a lot of options. We can't get visas through Iran, for example. We could just skip that bit out entirely, but um, that's something, you know, we we don't want to kind of miss the tricky bits, as it were. We don't want to just kind of zigzag up and down Australia or something like that. Um, So, yeah, hopefully we'll get across the Caspian Sea one way or the other. And then um, whatever happens, we'll go to Akhtar in Kazakhstan. And then we go mm-hmm. Kazakhstan, into Uzbekistan, back into Kazakhstan for a bit, and then we will fly from Bishkek in Kyrgyzstan. We um, then go to New Delhi in India. We kind of head um, southeast through India until we hit the coastline and then come up north through India to Kolkata. Um, we fly to Bangkok in Thailand, come down through Thailand, um, Malaysia to Singapore, Singapore to Perth. We then ride the south coast of um, Australia um, and then come up to Brisbane. From Brisbane, we go to Dunedin in New Zealand and then up through both islands, New Zealand to Auckland. Auckland, we fly to Vancouver. Um, We then cross all the way through Canada. Um, So we've stuck to Canada instead of the states for numerous reasons um, to end up in Halifax. Um, and then mm-hmm. from Halifax, we fly to Lis- Lisbon in Portugal, Portugal, Spain, France, Germany. Boom, back at the Brandenburg That's Gate. Brandenburg Gate. <laughs> Hopefully, easiest.
0: Excellent. Um, where to start? So many questions came up. <laughs> when you're running through that, and it's it's not the first time that I've heard that route either. Um, so, um, why Canada and not uh, not the states?
1: Um, there is a few, it was a, looking a bit trickier with visas and visas and things like that for a start. Yeah. Secondly, there's a lot of elevation going over the Rockies in the States. And Steve wasn't phased by this, but I am pants at elevation. I've, 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 you know, there's this great photo of me at the top of the Glibier in, in the French Alps, which isn't even that high. And I look like death warmed up. So I was quite happy to go through a flatter option through the Rockies. Um Okay. And yep. depending which way you go through the States as well. So if we have gone like right down the south, like Tandemwell did, that could have been possible. It would have still be very, very hot that time of year, um, which has its own problems. Mm. If you go further north, um, like Mark Beaumont did on the second time round, there's a lot of prairies. It's very exposed. He had massive problems, the headwinds then. And we still might get some of that in Canada, mm-hmm. but maybe not another reason is um we have a very lovely sponsor who when he found out there was any possibility of us coming through canada um immediately said you've got to come you know if you're coming anywhere near my doors open you know um and he's, he's also got a, a um, tap room with 12 craft beers on tap as well so that could be the end of the record there and then um <laughs> but yeah um <laughs>
0: You'll be well invested by that. <laughs> I know, there, so. I think it will be
1: grand. Fingers crossed. But he's actually, he's six, 60 miles out of Halifax, so it's not a massive distance, but it then means he is a really good connection, to help us get on that flight, get the boxes we need, get mm. the bike boxed up and everything like that. Um, help with all those logistics. Yeah, and, and because yeah. he you know he's cycling, touring life, so he runs his own bike shop as well. If we need anything at that point, he'll be able to help us out. Um, as opposed to we were going to go through New York at one point and it just felt like a bit of a... I'm sure it'd be a lovely place to visit. I think at that point in the game, I don't think we'll be in the right headspace for, <laughs> for a big in American city. So yeah.
0: No, it sounds like you Well, you and the bike will probably be in need of an ally at that point. <laughs> yeah, the trip. 10% so, 10%. Uh, excellent. So I uh, think you kind of touched on this tangentially or you kind of an answer to this question, which was, um, yeah, i know for uh, like records like lands and john and groats there's sort of a fairly established route now that pretty much everyone uses because that's the most direct fastest however you want to look at it um and it sounds like the, around the world well, there's been a, you know, quite a few records now that there isn't sort of an established an established route from the sounds of things with you know uh mark bowman going two different ways on his trips tandem wow going south yeah you know, so is that is how much variation is there? How much you, how much use have you got from previous records and how much have you deviated from uh, yeah, what they've done, their routes and, and their experiences?
1: Yeah, so I won't go through the whole Guinness requirements again because I, I, we have definitely touched on those in this podcast. We have before. definitely that. So, yeah. so there are obviously requirements you've got to stick to, but apart from that, it's a free-for-all. Um, so Mark Beaumont's 80 days route, I would pin money on being the fastest route around the planet at that time. I don't think he had any p- massive political restrictions that stopped him like going the faster way, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you know the same Jenny then followed his route very successfully too. But obviously, for example, for us, if we suddenly decided, yeah, we want to follow that's mo- a massive chunk of that is through Russia. And that would just not be an option yeah. at the moment, I'm, I'm pretty sure. To the point where we were looking at flights and one flight connected through, um, through Russia. And it, we just thought that's no go. So the politics yeah. come into play. Um, Tandem Wow obviously had a very successful route as well. Um, and they went from India through um, Myanmar. Um, I think the year after they did it, Myanmar had a massive coup and there's still a lot of political unrest. I think there's been some horrible kidnappings and and shootings and things recently. So for political reasons, we could not follow their route exactly too. Um, Oh, actually having said that about Mark Bowman's route, I do know he had to take a different route through the South Island of New Zealand due to landslides at the time. I think it was related to the earthquake there. So, yeah. yeah, actually, the quickest route through New Zealand he didn't take. So, yeah, I'm, I correct myself there. But I think if anybody was to do this again, I, I, I would say every, every person that does this is going to end up with a slightly different route. I don't, I don't think, unless you went the month after, I think there'll always be politics, yeah. there'll be natural disasters, there'll be something.
0: I suppose it is a, a, a world scale that's inevitable. Yeah. There's going to be some difference. Uh,
1: yeah, and the natural natural yeah. effects and, are a big thing as well. So and well, were very badly affected by the drought in Australia, and I think they cops some the wildfire fires in Canada as well. So
0: okay, these, yeah. you know,
1: bigger considerations than politics as well sometimes.
0: And is there any do did you or do people? Ever sort of time it with seasonal winds like your know, El Nino and that kind of thing. Is that is that a factor in the planning? God. Or is that
1: <laughs> I'll probably live to regret <laughs> Is that, that just terrible. taking it way too far? No, probably I'm sure Mark Beaumont did. Um and I know the direction we're doing it, um, which the vast majority of people do it, is is to go with the prevailing winds. Having said that, some other people have gone so y- Yuliana Bullring, for example, went the other way around. And you kind of think, well, yeah, OK, you, you then on balance get, you know, the prevailing winds. Um, was, for example, I, I think you heard Steve Kirsten be on the um, round the Wales trip because we seem to be in a headwind most of the way. But I don't think he can he can complain about that because it was a circular route. So, <laughs> you know, it wasn't my fault. The yeah. trailing wind switched on the, the way. Well, yeah. Anyway, Um <laughs> so I think there is an element of it, but how much that actually makes a difference overall? Yeah, I think it gives a bit. And you. if you're riding day to day, I think I think there's much bigger factors. I think, yeah, yeah, okay, maybe in Australia and things like that. But if you read all these books, I think most people run into headwinds in Australia at some point. So it's just one of those things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. I guess the other aspect of the planning side of it is sort of how you've found or how you've managed to put together and work out what equipment to take. You know, what apart from the round Wales trip, you know, how have you how have you worked out what works, what doesn't in terms of fueling, logistics, clothing, camping? You know, it's doing it in the way you're doing it is self-supported. It's a lot more than just maintaining and running a bike for 18,000 miles. Um, you know, how do you how have you worked out how to maintain and run yourselves for that?
1: Yeah, and the the, <laughs> the, the the kind of the um cheap answer is to go a lot of it's experience and a lot of it, you know, we've done lots of cycling touring holidays with but not not so we've done like expansive cycling touring holidays where we've carried loads of stuff and walking as well. We've done walking holidays, so it's about like we're carrying the kitchen sink, it's been ridiculous. Um so you quickly learn a lot from that. But as well, we've also done, so some of the Audax rides we do say anything 600K and above where you've got an overnight stop, you quickly learn how little you need to survive overnight. Having said that, we've had to bear in mind, this is six months. Um, So, you know, that tube of toothpaste, is that gonna last you six months or is it not? And okay, you can pick up more tubes of toothpaste, you're not gonna carry six months worth of toothpaste with you. But there's little things like that that you have to think about and yeah, Actually, things like, um, so soap and, you know, we don't use a lot of um, cosmetics anyway, but the specific soap we tend to use day to day, it might sound daft, but it's almost worth us making sure we've got plenty of that. Because if you switch something like that around the world, you could adjust your kind of body, um, your, your natural biome that lives on you. So, yeah, there's a degree of consistency you need to have but you obviously always need to trade that off with weight as well. So we have got drop points around the world and we'll be utilizing them as much as we can. But apart from that, we've trying to keep everything as minimal as possible, but to the point where probably we would be self-sufficient for a a few days. So we've kind of, we're going to carry like um, a couple of emergency meals. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. (laughs) See <laughs> recently went oh we can have a chat about that stove again um and <laughs> I was like no I thought we decided on the stove um but
0: well, 44 grams or <laughs> is. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah well it's the gas cans do as well but yeah so we are trying to go minimal but I think we have to bear in mind as well this is long trip and as much as yeah we don't want to be taking unnecessary luxuries we do need to consider that the, there's bare bones and then there's bare bones if that makes sense as well. And you know, little things that that could mount up over time to be um either take us more time trying to find replacements or going to be detrimental. Yeah.
0: Fair enough. Um so what if someone was I don't know getting into the into sort of long distance or ultra distance cycling now. Uh, I was trying to sort of benefit from your, your the experience that you've built up over the years uh, what, what sort of top three things should they prioritize in terms of you know, equipment and taking care of themselves on, the, on on those kind of adventures
1: um so I think a lot of it is so I would not say to anybody to go out and embark on something like this without of you know doing your groundwork and I don't mean just riding your bike a long way. I mean going out for days and riding your bike a long way so the the overnight skills and the, the skills outside the bike are a massive part of this so you camp craft you know are you happy bivvying are you happy camping are you happy that you don't have pre-booked accommodation for the night and what are you going to do about that um yeah. is a big part of it
0: how do you light a stove in a gale
1: <laughs> yeah exactly and if the stove doesn't light yeah. what are you going to do um yeah you can soak a lot of pasta for 12 hours in cold water um (laughs) (laughs) Um, and yeah and knowing your response to that as well so when it, it is miserable to know that you can get through the other side of that and guess what you know bad stuff happened before and we've coped um the nutrition is is a big part of it too so knowing what works for you and kind of keeping your fueling you know steady and i know a lot of people have we'll go out with quite set strategies, even ultra people sometimes do have, you know, Mark Beaumont is quite an extreme example because what he did was very different to what we're doing, but, you know, he had a very set, I must be fed so many, you know, every so many minutes with, you know, X amount of calories. Um, Whereas we know from experience of longer rides that we eat when we're hungry and how much we need to sustain us and what sort of things we need. Um, And, it then means we know how to resupply. So it means that we've then got, you know, we're always getting food in the bank ahead of time. I'm always thinking, right, what are we gonna be eating tonight? And then for well, what are we gonna be eating tomorrow morning? So yeah, it's, it's all, all that that makes the difference. Um, so I think if people did want to get into the longer distances, I think that's great. A club like Audax is, is great for that. Um, and building up the my, mileage and the endurance is, is massive. But if you want to go on to the long distance events, I think you need to build the skills around that as well. And you need to be taking yourself out in a bivvy, or you need to be, you know, learning how to, how, where you're going to resupply yourself and how you're going to plan that and how, how you're going to know if the next village has got a shop or not. And it's all those little things that kind of mount up to make success.
0: Absolutely, Thank you. So last couple of things. Um, I think you're going to have a, a dot that we can all watch while you're doing this. Um, like where, where, and when will people be able to find that? What, how else are people going to be able to sort of follow the adventure while you're while you're going around the world?
1: Yeah. So the um, the the dot tracker, um, very kindly provided by um, Follow My Challenge, is we're we're going to get that embedded on our website so the website um which i must admit you have been instrumental in is www.stellatandem.com um and there will be a page on there that will link you directly to the tracker and there'll be a little dot that will drop down and show you exactly where we are in the world so we're just finalizing that at the moment so yeah you'll very much be able to dot watch us um (laughs) <laughs> Aside from that, and internet um, connection dependent, um, yeah, I've, I've obviously been very active on social media. So um, Instagram and Facebook are probably my preferred mediums. And so I'm hoping to continue to update them regularly. Um, and yeah, we do have um, Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Um, so hopefully be able to feed into them as well. I have ambitions of being able to continue the blog, maybe on a weekly basis. Um, I'm a bit reluctant to commit myself too much, dependent on how things go. Um, but yeah, I'm hopeful to keep updates going, going around the world. So I'm hoping people will, yeah, follow us along the way.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, no, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Um, cool. So I want to uh, wrap up with uh, your usual set of Tandem trivia. Um, but I think we'll skip the first question because we know the answer to that of whether you've ridden a tandem before. Uh, And go straight to um, who would you have uh, on a tandem, um, living, dead, sports person or otherwise? um, And would you have them as stoker or captain? Um, But for you, you can't have Stevie.
1: Uh, Yeah. So I thought you thought you might be asking this. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't be stoked to be here otherwise, would it? Um, Yeah. And I've got a couple of really cheesy answers. I'm afraid. So, in true Stoke to be here here style, because I was looking back at um some of the the previous guest answers. Yeah, I've not chosen just one person. Um and yeah, looking back because I was I was like, who do I choose? And I was kind of immediately I started thinking about um all the guests that I've had on the podcast. You know, and I, I and I look back at the list and I'm absolutely astounded that I've spoken to all these people. I mean, you know, the fact that I've got Mark Beaumont, Jenny Graham, Well, all around the world record holders and all three of the Europe record holders have been on my podcast. Um, Richard Foddy on his Penny Farthing. Um, yeah, Emily Chappell, oh, Katie Cooker. Every, you, everybody that has been on this podcast has been amazing and, get, and I would say I would very happily go for a tandem ride with any of those Um, just to have more chats with them because they've all been fantastic. Um, And then I kind of went and looked at my kind of wish guest list as well. So the people I haven't had on that I've kind of niggled at and maybe timings haven't suited or they've been, you know, things just haven't panned out. And there's people like um, Fiona Kolbinger, um, Jasmine Muller, Luke Grenfell-Shaw, who's done an amazing charity bike ride um, called Bristol to Beijing on a tandem but he's been too really busy riding his bike um and yeah um juliana bullring is is another one as well Um, all these people if and i say if big if if i was ever to do another season of Stokes to be here there's still loads of people i'd love to chat to and so again yeah you know stoked to be here has been my my tandem seat for all these people so yeah that's nice. the first part of my answer <laughs> My second answer to it is potentially even cheesier. Um, it would be myself as like a, I'd say young to mid teenager to go, do you know what? You know, you're not sporty. You think you're rubbish at sport. You can't run for love nor money. I've now run from one side of the country to the other. Um, You can just about ride a bike, but you'll never amount to anything sporty. And at that age as well, I wasn't very confident. I didn't like talking to people. Asked me to stand up in front of my class and talk. I had an absolute meltdown. To, you know, sit her on the back and kind of go, do you know what? Things are going to change, and you just need to have a bit more confidence and stick with it. And, yeah, you know, I I think... You know my 12 13 year old self would be absolutely mind blown, so that's my second cheesy part of the, the answer. That's a good and answer. then <laughs> I've had more time to think about it than most of my guests because I do <laughs> spring it on them, I must admit. Um, <laughs> um, and then the front of the back's really hard because um, we literally went on a bike ride last night, um, on, on solar bikes and I was spinning along the reins. I'm not gonna ride my own bike for six months. And I was actually genuinely quite upset about that. And I love being Stoker and yeah, you know, it is a different perspective. It is very different from riding your own bike and it's got a lot of pros and cons. Um, And yeah, you know, I've never been captain on tandem, so I'm not sure I'm in the best best position to ask that. But yeah, if I was told I had to either ride, you know, Stoker on a tandem all my life or ride my own bike, yeah, I hate to say it. I think I'd choose my own bike because yeah I, I, I would genuinely miss that feeling of freedom of being able to go where you want pick up your bike and just ride.
0: Yeah. Fair enough, like it. Uh, so the next tandem trivia question. Um, uh, you always say that you and Stevie are joined by the frame uh, rather cheesily, as you said. So um, <laughs> I, know, I
1: always grate my teeth.
0: <laughs> so, um. Yeah. What? uh, Well, when you're not joined to Stevie by the frame, what are you? What are you joined by the frame to? What? What can you not be without on a ride?
1: Um, Yeah, I know Stevie's answer and pretty much every answer will probably be my phone, which I am always glued to. But there's such amazing pieces of technology now, and from things like routing to finding out where the nearest cafe is, finding out where the nearest bike shop that can rebuild a tandem wheel is, that's happened. Um, you know little things like Google Translate or yeah, yeah there's there's so much capability and when you look at Mark Beaumont's particularly like Mark Beaumont's first ride where he was still having to go to embassies to get visas and you know he's having to send I don't think he's quite in the realms of sending telegrams but everything you know is so much harder um, and all these paper trails whereas now you get an e-visa on your phone <laughs> it's, yeah it's a different world so it's a massive tool but yeah I am completely addicted to my phone particularly through this and the social media and everything so to go for a less you know less electronic um, thing I would I would probably say you know something that comes with pretty much every ride is my buffs <laughs> or other neck warmer slash neck tube slash name of your choosing um which i have several of but they're just fantastic you can just use them for everything um so you know neck warmer i make little bandanas headscarves um wouldn't be without mine outdoors yeah yeah yeah. you can clean your glasses i've used them as towels you can make the dog wear them yeah Yeah. so yeah i love a (laughs) buff
0: excellent um Good stuff. So final question needs to be slightly different, I guess, to normal. Um, so instead of why should you, well, yeah, why are you looking to ride around the world and break the break the world record?
1: <laughs> What's the motivation? Question. Yeah. Um I think a big part of it is even if you hate cycling, you hate bikes, you've never ridden a bike, you hate exercise, you know, if you ignore the physicality of it imagine if you could see the world at the speed of a bicycle because at the speed of the bicycle you take in so much work. and it's different from being in a car you know you experience the elements the sounds the smells Um, so you know even for anybody that that does not ever want to put their foot on a pedal just imagine being able to travel magically at that speed and see the whole you know the whole way around the world i think that's a big part of it Um, but admittedly (laughs) major part of it is the challenge and yeah I think you know Steve might kind of (laughs) not deny it as such but he will often go it's all your idea but I think we are both lured to a challenge and this is the biggest challenge yet and I think it is it is a bit about proving ourselves and yeah, you know, we want to go at the speed we we want to. Yeah, show people what we can do, and we want to hold a world record, and that would just be absolutely amazing. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm 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 sure you're going to. Um, I can't wait to can't wait to see you set off and uh, yeah and smash it. Uh, put in put in all the hard work. Uh, so. Yeah really looking forward to seeing it and and all the best
1: well thank you so much and thank you so much for being our interviewer for these these past two episodes I've not listened to Steve's yet so I hope he's said nice things about me but no it's (laughs) been a pleasure and you never know stoked to be him might be back in the future we shall see
0: (laughs) well on that note we'll leave it there thank you Laura no thank you